Welcome to Finest Work Songs. My name is Matt. My name is also Matt. This is going to get confusing real quick. <laughs> so we're here to talk about music, but not just music. Finest Work Songs is about our favorite albums, your favorite albums, and maybe what we think should be included in your favorite albums. That's exactly right. We um, completely realize that music appreciation, love of music is subjective and you know who be it for matt and me to say oh you you should love this album but that's exactly what we're going to do our hope for this is good conversation with guests and we want to challenge each other and and those who may be on here with us about these albums and why they are in fact great we're not always going to agree on what makes the best albums but that should make for fun listening that's right but we thought we'd start with something that is factually undeniably a great album chumbawamba tub thumping <laughs> <laughs> we want to relate to the children of today so who's what's the chumbawamba <laughs> out right now well you know i don't think it's that big of a leap to say that you know you had way back when you, you had billy ray cyrus had his big hit Fast forward, you know, 20, 25 years, and he's got another big hit on his hands with that Old Town Road song, which kids far and wide love, and I can't get it out of my head as much as I want to. I haven't yeah. heard this song. You haven't heard the song? No. Oh, man. Let me let me pull it up. I don't know if I'm <clears throat> jealous or, or disturbed that you haven't heard the song. I kind of feel like my kids haven't caught a fever, and I want to quarantine them from it. Yeah. On one hand, there's something kind of interesting about this song because it's it's one of those songs that crosses genres, yet the genres in which it crosses probably deny that it fits in those genres. So country music people don't think it's country. Rappers probably don't think it's rap. So hmm. it's in this weird uh, limbo of okay. music, but it's a huge hit. All right, I found it. Let me fast forward a little bit here. on You can your been in valley. You been up Billy Ray Cyrus has gotten really <laughs> funky. I mean, I didn't know he could do that. That's not him. That's little Nas X. That's little Nas X. Alright, let's see. Town living like a rock star, spend a lot of money on my brand new guitar. He's trying to rap there. Yeah, he kind of is, well, isn't he? But he did say guitar. <laughs> So that's where, that's where the, the melding of genres comes yeah. in. That was probably a big fight in the studio, too. Uh, sir, it's it's pronounced guitar. He's like, I'll never pronounce it guitar. And they said, you just said guitar. Again, that's my point. <laughs> I have to take it out of my cold, dead, mullet-wearing hands. Oh, this podcast has gotten off on a gross start. We're talking about Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh, goodness. What are we talking about today? Well, today, uh, as you uh, referenced a little earlier, we wanted to talk about an album that, you know, in our uh, opinion yet fact-based minds, mm -hmm. is a, an absolute classic. REM's Automatic for the People. This is an incredible album. Probably one of our favorite albums. Released in 1992, in October. Where were you 
What is your memory of hearing this album? So my memory of this album is very much tied to my senior year of high school. I would have been a senior in high school in Dunn, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. The The way you feel about music or an album or a book or a movie is very much tied to the time in which you experienced it. And so if I had been you know, 12 years old when this album came out, I'd probably have a different feel and a different experience with it. Or if I was 25 when it came out. Mm-hmm. But I very much think of this album as you know symbol of the end of childhood if that makes sense if mm-hmm. that's you know not too cheesy no sure you know we can get into the the material and the, and the the sort of overall content of the album but the 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 theme of it very much speaks to you know death and and the end of things and so i always associate this album with you know being a, a, like a high school senior so you're a senior and you're relating to death yep like like every senior in high school, right? right? Just so morbid, <laughs> right? Were you walking around like wearing goth clothes and everything? You would you would be shocked to know that I also loved the Smiths at this time. Are they morbid? Are they? Do they talk about death a lot? They talk about death quite a bit, or or wanting to die, right? Yeah. In all seriousness, I, that was never. I, I was never thinking like so teen angst ridden or or depressed. I mean, I had a pretty darn good life you know but just with the normal issues that teenagers deal with sure and, you know I, I wasn't i wasn't exactly dating every friday night so you know the i would retreat in the music and you know an album like this was just the perfect thing for for a kid like me it's when they say everybody hurts you thought that's me that's me i'm included in that I also hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was talking about not getting a date to the homecoming with that song. I think so. Yeah. Well, for me, it would have been a date to go to Benson Mule Days. So, you know, <laughs> that's, which, which I, I do think that's what he was talking about. What is Benson Mule Days? Uh, so Benson was the next town over, uh, but they have this mule festival uh, every year called Mule Days, and they have people bring in their mules and horses and there's shows and there's parades and so they bring in mules Mm -hmm. which is different from everyday life in benson how (laughs) outsiders bring in their mules okay (laughs) they welcome foreign mules exactly do they do tricks do they just walk them around i think they just kind of walk them around and show them off like like a livestock show but for mules is there a is there a top mule Sure, with a right. with a you know a sash that is like <laughs> and a crown yeah a tiara <laughs> <laughs> probably is been a long time since I've been to the Mule Days that also tells me a little bit about Dunn that Benson is the big town with the Mule Days oh yeah oh yeah in, in retrospect I kind of joked about it at the time but in retrospect there were some you know quaint things about an area like that Dunn had uh, this big celebration for. William C. Lee, who was, who was the father of the U.S. Airborne. In fact, on, on D-Day, when they, they jumped out of the airplanes, they didn't say Geronimo. They said Bill Lee in honor of him. Wow. Another town next door is Irwin, which was at one point the denim capital of the world. So you would have a denim festival there, denim days, and then you had mule days. Did a lot of Canadians come down for denim days? <laughs> they, no, but they should have. Pick up their tuxedos. <laughs> Uh, so what what about you? What, where, where were you when this, this album came out? So my family moved. Starting school, not knowing a lot of people's tough, especially early high school. Getting bullied a little bit. 
one night I was about to get like totally beat up and this old man comes out of nowhere and just beats up all of the high schoolers. No way. Yeah. And the next day I found him. He was a maintenance man. And I was like, Hey man, can you teach me how to fight like that? (laughs) (laughs) I'd appreciate if you wouldn't laugh at the pain of my high school. And so, you know, he said, he said he would teach me how to beat up other people, but that I had to do all these chores. And so I did all these chores and I was getting really frustrated because I just wanted to fight people and take revenge. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it turns out all along that this uh, alcoholic old man who became my best friend in high school uh, used the chores to teach me how to become a world-class fighter. Wow. And uh, this song I would listen to while I was doing the chores, this album. Wow. No, I remember hearing this album and I was a junior in high school. And honestly, this album, it didn't capture me right away. I loved it because I was a, like you, I was a huge REM fan, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't right away that it became my favorite REM album or anything like that because Out of Time had been such a big deal and Green had been such a big deal before that. So this one seemed so slow Mm -hmm. and I don't know, it didn't have a lot of songs from me that were anthemic mm-hmm. but then again i was dating girls and so night swim is going to go on every Bragger. night so. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into it yep automatic for the people by this point they had really reached the world stage with losing my religion that came from out of time things that i've read and heard is that they weren't touring they hadn't toured out of time they weren't planning on touring this album because I think they had spent, what, like 10 years touring straight mm-hmm. almost. Yep. And so then they decide to go into the studio. And at this point, they've got all the luxury of taking all the time they want. Mm-hmm. They've got all the money that they want from their record company on Warner Brothers. Is this their first, no, third album on Warner Brothers? Yeah, Green was the first okay. Warner Brothers album. So Green did so well. And then at a time, you know, number one hit. In 1991? Mm-hmm. Is that I right? think so. I Wait, so. did that come out in 1990? Or, or was that 90? 90? Maybe 90. Let me look that up. Yeah. But yeah, but after Out of Time, they're essentially in the, the same universe, same conversation as like U2 as being arguably the biggest band in the world, easily the biggest band from the United States yeah. at this point. Yeah, so Out of Time came out in 91. 91. Yeah, wow. which is crazy that this came out in 92. Jeez. They were on fire <laughs> this album was a lot different because of the string mm-hmm. arrangements which were arranged by jpj himself <laughs> that's right john paul jones <laughs> never heard of before never heard of since no that's right we only know his name because we're fans of rem right you should know that he is the bass player from led zeppelin always and forever can you imagine what it was like for Mike Mills to play bass and John Paul Jones is there? That's got to be like nerve-wracking. Even someone as accomplished as Mike Mills was at this point. I mean, you you've got to think, am I am I up to the task? Am I doing this anywhere near as good as as he would do it? Right. You know. I wonder if every time John Paul Jones walked in the room that Mike Mills just threw his bass down and stomped on it or just or just threw up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like total fanboy, but he takes it to extreme where he's like, I won't even play this bass. And they're like, no, 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 don't smash it. Oh, oh man, every time. John um, Paul, can you go to the other room? Do they call him John Paul? 
Maybe he goes by Paul. And we don't know. And we don't know. That's how he knows who a friend is. Yeah. Have I ever told you my John Paul Jones story? No. I, I know everybody has a John Paul Jones story. <laughs> yeah. but I was at a wedding of a friend. And through connections, John Paul Jones was there. So all I want to do is hang out with him. And that's not going to happen. I'm not going to walk up to John Paul Jones and just start hanging out with him. And I was waiting for him to invite me. I kept giving him eyes. What kind of eyes were you giving John Paul Jones? Just, uh, you know, Uh, lifting up my uh, eyebrows. uh, Yeah, yeah. a lot. Yeah, and nodding and smiling and pointing at him and playing the air bass. I was playing note for note cashmere, and he he just kept looking away. I had to keep starting over. A friend of mine, we were in line for the root beer floats or something that you made. Hmm. And he and his wife said they were talking about where the root beer floats were. And my friend leaned over and just said, uh, the root beer floats are over there and pointed. I think he even tapped John Paul Jones on the shoulder, maybe. And the Secret Service didn't even like break his arm. And he was able to point to where, <laughs> where the root beer floats were. And that's my John Paul Jones story. Wow. Let's talk about the first track. Okay. What if I ride? What if you walk? Did you hear it first or see the video first? Um, I, I do think I heard it first. And sort of like you were saying earlier, I wasn't initially blown away by Drive. For a first single, it was slow and kind of plodding and kind of dark. Over time, it, it's a song that has grown on me. And I, I really don't think this album would be the album it is without Drive as, a, as the opening song. It really does set the mood for you know what you're getting ready to hear. If, if out of time was light and airy uh, as they you know, first began to experiment and dip their toes into strings and other instruments, then this was their way of, of saying this is not that album. We're pivoting in a different direction for sure. Yeah, and and think about music at the time. It really stood out because at that time, you know, bands like. CNC Music Factory and Paul Abdul, that that sort of dance R and B. I think that was the year that that More Than Words came out. Remember that? Oh yeah, that was a huge yeah. song. Oh, well, for those of you, you 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 folks who are actually going on dates, it was a big song. Oh yeah. Well, and for those of us like myself who played acoustic guitar, oh yeah, that that song that, was, was gold. Money. money in the bank. <laughs> but also, I'm sure that we'll get to an extreme. Oh yeah. Album. Well, I mean, at least episode. one. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw the video first, or at least I remember seeing the video first, which was black and white. Mm-hmm. Michael Stipe's being carried over the crowd. crowd. Slow uh, motion, yeah. a lot of it. But then, you know, I, I do remember thinking that Peter Buck's guitar came in, that that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And that was so un rem like of a guitar sound Yes, at that point. Yep. Um, yeah, let's take a listen to that. Yeah, so we're already two minutes into the song, you haven't heard any electric guitar. Right. Hey. For now, it doesn't sound, you know, that big of a deal. Right. But for then, we hadn't heard anything like that right. from Peter Buck. Right. And and maybe it's also because the first two minutes of the song is so echoey and brooding. And, a little quiet. Yeah. And then that comes in very intense. Mm-hmm. So definitely a different way to start the album. 
the other thing that's kind of jumped out at me through the years is, you know, th- those lyrics of, you know, you know, hey, kids, rock and roll. In a lot of ways, it's a, it's a very un-rock and roll song. As you mentioned, what, the music that was big at that time was, in a lot of ways, was not rock music. I'm trying to think of the time. Has grunge hit or is grunge getting ready to hit when this album comes out? Let me see here. Because, you know, R.E.M. just ha- had this knack of, of going against the grain and being unconventional without being just contrarian about it to be contrarian. So grunge had not hit yet. Oh no, I'm wrong. Smells like teen spirit had come out. That's often seen as the beginning of grunge. Right. Cause that was the first one that obviously bands are doing things, but that was right. the first one that broke into like uh, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have higher on the ranking for that year is November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Okay. So Guns N' Roses is still around. They're still... And yeah. actually, above Guns N' Roses is none other than Billy Ray Cyrus. There you go. It's full circle. No, 92. I mean, Boys to Men, Crisscross, Cross, Sir Mix-a-Lot, top three singles of the year. Wow. Which, how are you going to compete with Baby Got Back? No, you can't. Yeah. So you got to do something completely different. You yeah, got to do an acoustic album about death. That's why they did it. Yeah. That's yeah. totally... It was all they had left. How else are you going to respond to, you know, Bobby Brown humping around? <laughs> the Beatles and the Beach Boys went back and forth yeah, yeah, with Pet competed, Sounds yeah. and, and Sgt. Yep. Peppers. I mean, I've heard at least Drive was a response to Bobby Brown's humping around. <laughs> it was like an answer to that. After Drive, you know, that's, that's a great opener. And then they come up with Try Not to Breathe. to breathe I can hold my head still with my hands and my knees his eyes are the eyes of the old shivering and bold was that the uh, the homecoming theme for breathe. 1993 oh yeah try not to breathe what if they'd let you in high school decide you know, like what the what? theme was. It would have been some R.E.M. or Metallica or Smith It probably song. would have been, yeah. yeah. Or, or humping around. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we got to choose. <laughs> Are we doing uh, Night Under the Stars or Humping Round? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. There is a really cool podcast called Song Exploder mm-hmm. where they have artists on and they break down songs, talk about how they made the song and how they how they built the song and how they recorded the song and they have michael stipe and mike mills on it's my favorite episode and Mm -hmm. they have them on talking about try not to breathe it not only makes me realize how gifted they are as musicians but it puts them in another category for me which Mm -hmm. is hard to do because for you and i Mm -hmm. rem is our favorite band Mm -hmm. and we've obsessed over them for years which is why we're starting with automatic for the people but hearing this, they talk about how the band will record the song and then give it to Michael Stipe, and then he'll just come up with lyrics, mm-hmm. which is insane. Yeah, and he would drive around with, with the cassette of the demos. Right, and, and just which is why listen. he called the first song Drive. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> driving around, listening to songs, driving around. That was, the, that was actually the first like two lines of that song. Yeah, yeah. and well, and then... He leaned out the window and saw those 
those local teenagers, those ne'er do wells, yeah. loitering, and he said, "Hey, kid, shake a leg," and he's like, "That's a, that's a good line. I'm gonna put that in there." And I, I did hear that he he pulled up at a stoplight. Mm-hmm. There were again another car full of ne'er do well teenagers. And they were listening to humping around. Yep. And he leaned out. He's like, "Hey, kids, rock and roll." <laughs> he's calling them out. <laughs> And those other group of ne'er-do-wells, he looked out and he said, hey, kids, where are you? Which is a weird question <laughs> because they're right there. But then he said, nobody tells you what to do, baby. And they said, I'm calling the police. And he sped away. Not before he wrote those lyrics down. Oh, no, yeah. He, he, he jotted those down quickly. He knew. He, he, knew. Knew. he had a hit on his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Like in 1992, if like Michael Stipe pulled up at a, at a stoplight and you know, chided some kids in the next car over, do you, do you think they would have known who he was? Like mo- like most kids, or or would have been like just so out of context? Oh yeah, no, they would have. They would have. Well, because he was so unique looking, yeah. and he'd been dancing in Losing My Religion, right? Yeah, you know. That's true. So before Out of Time, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because also during Green, he had that weird ponytail, right? It's not weird, Michael. I know he's listening, so I want to make sure that he's not offended. Michael. We love the ponytail. Bring it back. But yeah, I think think he would have been recognized, probably. Hmm. I bet he had an electric car before they even had electric cars. So he he drove a golf cart around Athens, Georgia. (laughs) So try not to breathe. Check that out on Song Exploder, but also this is... uh, one of my favorite songs on the album. It's you're the first explicit, you know, quote unquote, death song. I mean, it's deep, deep material, uh, but just such a beautiful song and dresses a topic that was uh, several years ahead of its time. Yeah. He, he mentions this being about his grandmother. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that she had died or was dying, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure at least the sentiment came from her. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful song, but also the words are really, they're really moving, especially when it's, I will try not to burden you. I can hold these inside. I will hold my breath. I'll try not to burden you. I can hold these inside. I will hold my breath until all these shivers subside. Just look in my eyes. I don't know. It kind of brings a lot of dignity because a lot of times we look at people as they're approaching death and just think, it's poor not, thing. Yeah, poor thing. Pity it's them. like they don't know what's going on or something mm-hmm. like that. But this lady clearly has all mental faculties and is saying, no, no let me go. Then the, the empowerment part of it is the line of, you know, I've seen things you will never see. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, it's just your way of saying it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm still your, your elder. I'm still your, yeah. The person who has helped mold you into who you are. Kind of, with all due respect, listen, I've seen things you'll never see. Yeah. You can't tell me in my position right. what to do here. Which is cool how they have Bill Barry singing that in the background throughout the song. Mm-hmm. You can't get away from it. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the biggest hit. For him to come out with Everybody Hurts at any point in rock history, but right. I mean, 
how did how did he do that with such vulnerability and then for that to become a hit clearly shows that that resonated with mm-hmm. people because mm-hmm. it's such a sad song it's not one that you put on at a party that is true and, well, and yeah high school <laughs> matt pity party yeah party of one over here <laughs> i sure as heck did um, who put that on the jukebox and you're over there be like nobody will date me <laughs> i'm going to mule days alone <laughs> Um, Would people take dates to Mule Days? I'm sure they did, and I'm sure they still do. Oh, it's man. quite, it's quite the event. I'm, I'm taking you to Mule Days. So I want, we're checking I want to it out. I want to bring the family. Yeah, you should. It's been talked about too with Everybody Hurts that you know they've even contended that you know it's not even really their song anymore. It's it's a song that kind of belongs to. It's going to sound really cheesy, but it belongs to the world. It's it's one of those songs that has meant a lot to so many people. It's a simple song too. I mean, it's 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 not a complicated song musically, and it's not a complicated song you know, lyrically either. No, but it it, it clearly resonated, and it, you know, it was inescapable for a, quite a while. Oh yeah, the song was everywhere. I think the video helped. Yeah, it was such a cool video. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think back on that video, which if you haven't seen it, it's the cars that are all stopped in traffic mm-hmm. and it goes through each car and it shows you what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. They the people, go, not the cars. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. So you've seen the movie Cars. <laughs> Lightning McQueen is in this one, voiced by Michael Stipe. <laughs> Mater would be Billy Ray Cyrus. That's true. This was Let's be Yeah, yeah. Every time I think about the video, the mm-hmm. only thing that pops into my head is the kid in the truck who just keeps thinking, stop singing, stop singing with his dad singing. That's the only one I can remember. And what that showed with that, even that little snippet there in that video was, you know, the humor in like darkness, uh, you know, in a, in a dark subject like that, you know, trying to find something funny and something to laugh about. And that one always jumped out at me too. I wonder if he also wrote this driving around. He saw some kid like fall off his bike and he's like, hey, kid, everybody hurts. Take comfort in your friends. And it drives away. <laughs> Mommy, that weird man started yelling at me again. That weird bald man yeah. in his golf cart just yelled at me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Sweetness Follows. Ready and to bury your father. Did you think when you lost another? I used to wonder why did you bother? Distance from one, one to the other. Readying to bury your father and your mother. Right. Man, what a party album this is. Golly. I bet he was so mopey in the studio. <laughs> Here he comes. Oh, Captain Buzzkill. <laughs> Again, this is this is an, a song that I didn't appreciate the subject matter as a 17, 18-year-old. No. And that's a, why I was talking about it. It didn't resonate with me that year because right. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm not. it's yeah. beautiful, but I'm not thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. As, as a you know, mid-40s father and parents who are aging, you know, grandparents who have passed on or, or aging, yeah, I mean, you you have to confront those kinds of issues and you have to start planning and just dealing with the fact that we are not immortal on this earth. Right. How, how, how do you, how do you prepare? How do you deal for deal with that, that kind of stuff? You and I talked about the David Sedaris book, 
Calypso. Mm -hmm. And that had a similar impact on me in reading that book because I think of the stage of life that I'm approaching and that, you know, a lot of our friends and Mm -hmm. and family are, are going through thinking through things like death. And honestly, this album, like I said, didn't jump out at me in high school, but it was probably two years ago that it really impacted me in a way that I'd never experienced before with this album. And so it has become my favorite REM album. And I think part of that is the subject matter and really digging into the lyrics and being in a different place in life. Jumping ahead a, a, a little bit here, uh, this is maybe in some ways their their least political album when you compare it with Green, particularly in right. Document. Um, I mean, Ignore Land is, is a pretty political song. I, I think the subject matter of this album, uh, not to mention just how beautifully well done it is and the production it it stands up over time too it's it's not necessarily an album you listen to and go oh this was clearly recorded in 1992 yeah so the other hit on this album was man on the moon Cobain and Courtney Love had moved next door to Peter Buck in Seattle. So obviously, like rock stars do, became friends. And Michael Stipe said that he was trying to come up with a song that had more yeahs than Kurt Cobain did. Because he always put yeahs in songs. You know, even in this video I was watching, they had a list and it showed something like 56 yads that he had in Man on the Moon. Wow. So I think that he not only wanted to beat Kirk but he wanted to obliterate him, <laughs> show him who was the boss. <laughs> he also said that this song was the last one on the album that they had recorded the music and they didn't have any words for. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took a week out of the studio and Michael Stipe said he just walked around downtown Seattle listening to the song taking loops around downtown Seattle until he came up with the words, which I wish I could have seen that. Yeah. I wish I could have just been walking down the street and Michael Stipe comes by mumbling, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, do you, do you think he was walking around with like an old school Walkman, like foam headphones on? Probably. Or like a disc man? Yeah, I bet it was a disc man. But disc man. Yeah. He's clipped, probably rollerblading. to his belt. Yep. <laughs> rollerblading. Yeah. <laughs> it's 1992. What was he wearing? Things weren't baggy yet. Was it? Was he? Was he um, wearing one of those color-changing T-shirts? Yes. Where if you put your hand on it, the shirt would change color. Some Birkenstocks. Mm-hmm. He probably had Rastafarian oh. necklace on. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. What, what if you were walking around Seattle and you just like bump into Michael Stipe, like literally bump into Michael Stipe, and yeah. he's like, and and you completely messed up his train of thought, <laughs> and like and like and man on the moon ends up being something jerk completely on the street. <laughs> This jerk on the street bumped into me. No, 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 no. (laughs) Their career just went downhill from there. They get raked over the coals because the album was great, except for that song, Jerk on the Street. (laughs) (laughs) It really is an interesting song. It's it's very simple musically, Mm -hmm. uh, very poppy. There's there's not a lot to it. It just kind of gets stuck in your head. Like like everybody hurts, it was a song that 
you could not get away from for for quite some time i did get a little bit of man on the moon fatigue there for a while yeah but it, it it's it's you know, definitely a song that 26 years later is as good today as it was then yeah arguably the two strongest album closers that an album could have and the first is night swimming Michael Stipe's ability to tell a story with lyrics like this are, I, mean, I don't know many people who are as good at this. I mean, even the the line about you know the photograph on the dashboard and that, just that that experience, and so it's relatable. Turned around back, so the windshield shows every street light. Everybody has gone swimming in a pool, mm-hmm. you know, that they hop the fence or a neighbor's pool when they're out of town or something. You know, mm-hmm. Somebody has an experience, even if it's not with swimming, but uh, you can relate to this idea of getting caught. Mm-hmm. And so even he puts that in there just very simply, though. It's just the fear of getting caught right. and things like, I forgot my shirt at the water's edge. So mm-hmm. even kind of painting the picture uh, with relatable experiences that gets you in that moment. And then as he's making poignant observations it you're already kind of in that moment and admitting to to being vulnerable in those moments you know here you know in this case you're skinny dipping and you're with your friends but you're still they cannot see me naked kind of thing there's, yeah. there's that there's that vulnerability of it that's very real very relatable and it's just such a beautiful piano song it was in miami where mike mills played this on the the same piano that they recorded Layla yep. by Derek and the Dominoes. Mm-hmm. Are those the only two songs that were recorded on this piano? <laughs> Cause that's all you hear is that, Oh yeah, that song night swimming was recorded on the Layla piano. Like no one ever touched it. Like, yeah. it, like it even had a placard on it. Like <laughs> Layla was played on this. You do not touch. <laughs> yeah. Eric Clapton pokes his head and get off that piano. <laughs> hey kids, rock get, and roll. <laughs> and Michael Stipe's like, oh, hey kids, rock and roll, huh? <laughs> thanks, Eric Clapton. Hey, thanks. Thank you. How do you follow up Night Swimming? You know, it's such a beautiful song. And, mm-hmm. you know, their answer to that is Find the River. Right. The ocean is a river's goal. The need to leave the water knows we're closer now than life. Which you know, you and I talked about it a little while back. That you know, if if for some reason this had been REM's last album, if they had just decided to call it quits after Automatic for the People, mm-hmm. probably couldn't script a more perfect 
last song to end with than find the river for for an album that's again so focused on death and the end of things it's it's a song that's so incredibly positive and, and uplifting and it's just a completely perfect way to to end the, this album one of the key elements is mike mills mm-hmm. i mean he's definitely the secret weapon mm-hmm. of rem but his backing vocals i just want to play oh, a little bit of that incredible Listen to these high background vocals that comes in. You can't have R.E.M. without any of the members, but uh, those background vocals are really, for me, what make this song in particular. He is definitely the ninja of R.E.M. Yes. And Peter Buck is the jester. (laughs) Do ninjas and jesters hang out? I bet ninjas seek out the company of jesters because yeah. ninjas, they're lonely. there's no threat. Yeah, you know, that's true. And jesters going to make them laugh and they live such serious lives. Plus, if you're a ninja, you know, you can just kill a jester. Yeah. Like with, with your bare hands. Which I'm sure they do. Oh, every day. Yeah, Miyagi style. Who's Miyagi? This is a karate dojo, not a knitting class. You don't come in my dojo and drop a challenge and leave, old man. All right, Matt, so... Michael Stipe has a gun to your head, and you have to take one song off this album. What would it be? Ooh, that is, that's a tough one. Well, I mean, the, the low-hanging fruit to me is New Orleans Instrumental number one, just because it's short, and it's an, it's an instrumental. Mm-hmm. Of these 12 songs, it's not one of the ones that I immediately think of. Uh, I should have said, album. besides that one, what would you take besides off? Besides that one? <laughs> I, I knew you were going that. Um, probably Ignore Land. I love the song, but to me, that's probably the one that if you took it out of the album, the album still holds up as a cohesive piece. Yeah, I think Ignoreland's good. I thought maybe Sidewinder. Mm -hmm. I even tried to listen to Try Not to Breathe right into Everybody Hurts. Which it works because they're amazing songs, mm-hmm. but uh, there might be something from a cohesive standpoint that they have Sidewinder in there. I know that they wrote Sidewinder because they said they needed some faster songs. Mm-hmm. Stipe at first said he really didn't like that song, yeah, uh, but you know they they needed some in there, and it is nice to. It's almost like a palate cleanser, yeah. Which they have several of those in here, including New Orleans Instrumental mm-hmm. and Starmy Kitten. They feel like palate cleansers. So I could see where that that would you could make an argument for that not being on the album, but in, in the in all the pantheon of of cool, clever, quirky little things that REM does, to, you know, whether it's with album art or lyrics or what what have you, I've always appreciated the fact that you know when he sings Doctor Zeus instead of Zeus, yeah, and he giggles, yeah, you know, the next part. The fact that they left that in, it's endearing. You can't help but like smile. Again, for, for such a, a deep album, it, it is a, a nice moment of levity. Him giggling at his mistake, making the decision, you know what, let's leave that in there. Yeah. I mean, to me, it, it, it makes them real people. 
Well, thanks for listening. We really enjoy talking about music, and we thought it would be fun to bring this conversation to a podcast. If you have any albums that you would like for us to review, you can email us at finestworksongs at gmail.com. We do look forward to, to, to talking more about uh, other great albums. Uh, please hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Finest Work Songs. We hope to bring in some guests and, and challenge them and talk to them and, and hear their, their bits of wisdom on some of the great albums as well. Do we just see you next time? We need some kind of send-off. Like Bobby Brown, we hope you keep hopping around. around. <laughs> Our theme song is by the incredible band Medium Heat. This track is called Radio, and you should check them out at mediumheat.bandcamp.com. And check out any upcoming shows if you are in the Raleigh area. They are on Facebook at Medium Heat Music. We